Welcome to Difference Makers, where we bring you profound and enlightening conversations with remarkable people who make a difference through innovative and inspiring charity work. On this podcast, you'll hear the incredible stories of real-life difference makers, learn about the worthy causes and charities they support, and discover how charity work changes lives for the better. You have one shot, and it's and it's what are you going to do with your life that truly gives you the most meaning. I'm Alda Saris, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with adventurer and founder of Impossible to Possible, Ray Zahab, who's making a difference through experiential learning programs for schools and students around the world. Welcome to Difference Makers, Ray. It's a real pleasure to have you here today. I want to just jump right in. I'm really excited for our community to learn about Impossible to Possible and all the amazing work you guys have been doing. So if you if you don't mind, why don't you jump right in and give us a primer on the charity and talk about some of the work you guys have been doing. Well, thank you. Thanks so much, Al, for having me, for having me on today to talk a little bit about what it is that we're doing. So Impossible to Possible, or I2P for short, it's much easier to say than Impossible to Possible, I2P is an organization for the that past, gosh, dozen or more years, we've been conducting youth-based expeditions all over the world that are experiential learning-based expeditions. So we did a group of 16 to 21-year-olds, youth, on these uh, youth ambassadors, on these running or trekking-based adventures that can be in the middle of the Amazon jungle, they could be in Rajasthan, they could be in the Arctic, they could be in the Tunisian Sahara, they could be anywhere. And what we do is we combine a relevant curriculum to that expedition, and then the expedition is used as a teaching tool to teach about that relevant curriculum to students around the world who are tapped in via satellite through a live website. So to distill it down a little bit and give you an example, when we took a group of youth ambassadors to the Amazon jungle, one of the trips to the Amazon, we studied biodiversity. And so as our youth ambassadors made their way through the central Amazon jungle, They stayed in indigenous communities. They would find the answers to questions like field reporters about biodiversity. Um, They would learn about biodiversity and specific lessons on biodiversity from our educational team that accompanied us, but mostly from the indigenous people that live in the Amazon. And then those, those footages and photos and stories were compiled into modules that were uploaded to a live website, again, using satellite broadband. And then we would do video conferences with students. So you can imagine you've got like thousands of students on the other end of this, right? And you're in a classroom in Toronto or Boise or wherever, and you're talking to your peers who are in the middle of the Amazon jungle in a rainstorm, you know? So it's, it's, it's a super wild. effective, yeah. Training. And I guess the most uh, compelling feature is something that I don't think we, it's not that we necessarily take it for granted, but it's something that we just do because we're so passionate about it. So everything we do is free. So it's 100% free of charge for the youth ambassadors to go on the expeditions when they're selected. It's free for faculty that are volunteering and lending their expertise. And it's free for schools to participate. So we pick up all the costs to do this. That's incredible. I didn't realize that. So I, I knew it was free for the participants. So it's also free for the schools as well that want to participate? 100%. Wow. 100%. I know. And you know what's so funny about that is over the years, we have tried – to make that clear, I don't know how many ways on our website and through social media and everything else. And still it's like, 
I guess because there's not a lot of free stuff out there. <laughs> it's like right. the message doesn't get through, right? People yeah. are like, what are you talking about? So, Almost sounds anyhow. too good to be true, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's incredible. And are you, I know you are based in Canada. The nonprofit works in both, you're, you're, you're registered in the U.S., you're also registered in Canada, but you're doing these mission trips around the world. And then you're bringing yeah, the learning to, stu- yeah, to students around the world as well. Yes. So the, the, the you know, there is no, criteria of geographic location, either for the youth ambassadors that are coming, that have applied, or the schools that want to participate. So, uh, we, yeah, our, our head office, our HQ, if you will, is in Whittier, California. And our, you know, I live, as the founder, I live in Chelsea, Quebec. And so we have our uh, Canadian office, if you will, is and our Canadian team is right across the, the Quebec border from where I live into the next province of Ontario in our nation's capital of Ottawa. So we exist in sort of two places, but honestly, we're a virtual organization. We've been able to keep our costs low because we we are a group of volunteers, mm-hmm. the vast majority of us, and so including me. And so when you know it's when it's time to rally around a youth expedition and in a non-COVID year, yeah. we would do probably one, if it's a really expensive expedition to do, or two expeditions in a year. And so everybody sort of, it's like all hands on deck and everybody is virtual. So we have people all over the world that volunteer as well. It's really interesting. I mean, we've been, we've been sort of, you know, ahead of that curve. Now it's normal for people to be on Zoom calls and, you know, everything else in this COVID era. But we were again, not something that I, I use the word we took it for granted, but it's just something we've always done. We've always been video conferencing because our entire team is like everywhere. Nobody's in the same town, really, you know? So you were well positioned for remote learning. Oh yeah. Remote learning and remote learning and remote operations because everybody's doing remote operations right now. Right. Yeah, for the most part. We're forced to almost, yeah. Almost across uh, yeah. every industry. Out of curiosity, how did, so obviously if I were a young you know, 17, 18 year old kid, this would be like off the charts, amazing, interesting to me because I love outdoor adventure. How do they learn about what you guys are doing? How do they apply and how do they get selected? So they apply. It's a funny thing. So impossible possible has a Facebook page and in order to minimize, um, you know, we only have so much bandwidth. I mean, when you're volunteering in an organization and, and it, you know, it takes up a lot of your time when it's your own organization and you also got to le- make a living and take care of your family. So Bob, our executive director sort of made uh, and co-founder of impossible to possible, by the way, sort of made the de- executive decision many, many years ago. He said, look at this, what's going to happen. We're going to open the window for a short period of time. It'll be on social media. So if students are paying attention and they know us, they know that within months, like six months or eight months before a youth expedition is going to happen, he'll open up for a short period of time, like three weeks, the application process. We get flooded with applications. And then Bob makes a selection committee um, that includes one other board member and past youth ambassadors. And then they have specific criteria that they're looking for for each youth expedition. Those criteria do not involve where you're from, religion, sex, economics, none of these things come into play. It's more things like, okay, this is going to be a 20-mile-a-day run across Tunisia. Criteria number one, you got to have some running experience. This is going to be a hands-on 
experience-based learning program because we we reinvent how we teach every time. Sometimes it's very intensive education. Other times it's field reporting. So on, so if it's intensive education, they'll be like, all right, we got to look for kids that really have this desire to be part of a larger community and want to share their experiences, right? And so they look for those kind of criteria. And the other criteria, I, like, I don't even know. All of a sudden, I just find out we've got five youth ambassadors, right? So I could try to, I'm the main, my goal or my role, I guess you could say, with Impossible Possible is I'm a fundraiser. So it's typically my partners that are supporting Impossible to Possible, partners for my own expeditions. And so for that reason, I stay completely uninvolved in the selection process. And then you're also the expeditions director. Is that correct? Yeah, I am. Okay. And by the way, let me just go back to that for a sec. Sure. So to answer your question fully. So they, this application comes out and the application is a little bit different each time. And they ask questions that they want to see robust answers for. So if you have anybody's listening there right now, and these kids are thinking, oh, next time they announce, we don't care or they don't care how impressive, for example, your running resume is. They want to know that you can that you, you can run, let's say, if it's a running-based expedition, if it's a trekking-based expedition, you can have very little or no trekking experience on a trekking-based expedition because you get all the training, the nutrition, all the guidance that you need to be prepared for. But the critical factor is they have to have this desire to want to explore out of the term, not exploration from a physical sense, but explore, open their minds, share, be part of a larger group. And that comes through loud and clear through applications, right? So anyway, you got to have passion to want to be out there. So uh, yeah, I'm expeditions director. So I help to organize what expeditions are going to look like and where locations are. And then Bob takes over on logistics. So hard logistics, the various contacts that we have around the world through my own expeditions, et cetera, friendships we've established in remote parts of the world, that sort of thing. Okay. So just to, so our ri- listeners are up to speed, you are the expeditions director because you are an extreme adventurer. Unlike any I know, you've done these incredible expeditions around the world and have for years. If you wouldn't mind, can you give like a little background on how you got involved in that piece? Like what drew you to the using extreme adventure and expedition for your own personal benefit, but also now that you've taken that and you're sharing it with the youth of the world? Yeah, so if you think about where we are now, if the end of the story or whatever, you know, the current state of the story is that my passion is making sure that young people get an opportunity to use adventure as a portal to learning, not only about themselves, but about their world around them. Obviously, that comes from personal experience, right? Mm -hmm. And so I got the idea for Impossible to Possible on a 4,500-mile run that I did across the Sahara with two other gentlemen. And we ran basically 40 miles a day for 111 days, crossing the entire Sahara. You could see there's a film made about it called Running the Sahara, um, a documentary film that was produced by Matt Damon that sort of chronicled that expedition. And as we made our way across the Sahara, what was so impactful for me was that here I am on this run and I'm learning about uh, culture. Uh, peoples and culture that I otherwise would have never had the opportunity to. I'm learning about politics, religion, science. I'm crossing all of Libya. I'm learning about geography in Niger. I'm learning about uh, archaeology in Egypt. And I'm experiencing these things in real time. And, and by the time I reached the end of the Running the Sahara Expedition and dipped our hands into the Red Sea, 
it, it dawned on me that I had this voracious appetite to want to learn, which was very ironic. You know, I'd left the Sahara with the tremendous knowledge of North Africa or as much as you could get in that amount of time. But when I was a kid in high school, I was someone who just didn't care about school at all. I was logging D's and F's and, and uh, you know, barely got out of school and, you know, never completed community college. I was not a physical person in any way, stretch or form. I was a uh, very unhappy person inside and uh, dis- dispassionate world. We're not even not passionate about anything. And I was a non-completer of, of anything that I was doing in my life. So I was the exact at the edge of the Red Sea, the exact opposite person that I was just seven years before reaching the edge of the Red Sea. And so, you know, from going from this life of pack-a-day smoker, you know, heavy drinker, unhealthy partying guy who was very unhappy inside, um, but, you know, pretended to be happy on the outside, was always trying to be the life of the party. To transition through learning about the outdoors through my younger brother, to fall in love with the outdoors, change my life, become healthy, change my life 180 degrees, start racing ultra marathons, start winning ultra marathons, which I never thought possible because I'd never won anything physical in my life, and then go from those ultra marathons to running across the entire Sahara Desert. I thought there's there's so much more on the shores of the Red Sea. I thought there's so much more to this last seven years of change that I've had than than what it means to me personally. And I thought, wow, if I could save some kids some time, you know what I mean? Or give any kid that wants it the opportunity to go and experience what I experienced, like their own version of running the Sahara, that would be the dream. And so that was how I, that was how I started running the Sahara. Like I met my wife and I met, uh, we had the idea together and then we met with, uh, we met up with Bob a few months later after coming up with this idea and then it really formulated after we met Bob, and then the three of us basically got this thing rocking. That's amazing. I, I didn't. I mean, I knew your story a little bit because we've spoken many times before, and you've given me. Um, and I want to get into this in a minute, but you've given me a lot of encouragement and support and guidance in in my charity work. But I didn't realize that running Sahara was really the moment that opened your eyes to sharing running, running sharing Sahara, it. Yeah. Yes, running the Sahara opened my mind to the potential of turning a learning experience into something meaningful, mm-hmm. right? Like we've done 15 youth expeditions out around the world, eh? 15. And, and not, not easy to get places, eh? Some, some yes. Ironically, the easy to get places are the more expensive ones. We did one in 2017. Uh, no, I'm sorry, when did we do that? 20. Oh my God, was it 2017 or 2018 for uh, Canada's 150th anniversary? And we traveled to all uh, 13 provinces and territories and learned about Canada. It was a ridiculous logistical effort. We brought five kids to Canada that had never been to Canada before and gave them a crash course in Canada, right? And then they in turn would share their seeing snow for the first time or all these things with, with kids back at home in India, France, uh, they, they came from all over. So there, or, you know, going to Tunisia, you know, but we've been to Peruvian Amazon, Brazilian Amazon, Tunisia, Rajasthan, the Canadian Arctic, uh, it, it, the Utah desert, um, you know, all these different places. And so we've always done this in bed committed to the no kid pays. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's what our passion is. And, and, and that was the terms in which I was willing to do this thing. And you know, what's funny about all this and, and you'll appreciate this. 
when we first started getting this thing going and rocking, it was before social media. Yeah. I mean, social media was, I, I, I'm not even sure. Like that, that was 2007. Right. So I don't even know. Was there a Facebook? Into I can't remember. But, I, it didn't have the, nothing like the power it has today. If it exactly. did. I mean, I can't think exactly. back. Maybe it was like we were all on MySpace back then. I don't remember, but nothing like what we have today with the power of social media. Exactly. And so it's a very, it was a very different world, even in interaction. It was different. Like the idea of communicating, communication, um, and creating, you know, f- formulative educational relationships across technology was just something that was like not common at all. I mean, now, of course, you have friends all over the world, right? On Facebook or wherever you sure. are, or Instagram or whatever. But it was, it was a new time in technology and we just, we latched onto that technology right away. And, and, you know, it's expensive to do, but it's very rewarding. And we always said it will be free, hundred percent free. And if we can't do it for free, there's no point in doing it. It's just not what we wanted to do. I tell you, I mean, even if there was a cost involved, it's incredible what you're doing, but I love that you have made that a focus for you, that these kids are coming for free. And then we're sharing what we're learning, this educational piece with the schools for free. It's really remarkable. Yeah, and well, you know, and but we and, and people say to me, well, how the hell do you fund it, right? So I, you know, I, I obviously I do my own expeditions, and you had mentioned before, and of course I didn't answer your whole question, but you know, I, to this point in kilometers, I've ran and trekked over seventeen thousand k on expeditions alone, right? So that's over ten thousand miles on my own on expeditions, like the remotest parts of the world, coldest parts of the world in the winter, hottest deserts in the summer, you know, crossed. The entire Gobi Desert, 2,000 kilometers. The entire Namib Desert, close to 2,000 kilometers. The entire Atacama Desert, 800 miles. And, you know, all of these deserts in the summer and then go to the Arctic regions in the winter. And so I have the support of those partners, my sponsors from those expeditions that help to drive funding into Impossible to Possible. But more than that, you know, we we have uh, and you have to these days be entrepreneurial in order to fund your charity. Mm-hmm. And so we have uh, an or- another organization called Capic One, which is a guiding-based company where I take adults on their own sort of impossible-to-possible-based expeditions, but they don't get a free ride. <laughs> they pay. <laughs> That's and still pretty pay, cool, and though. Then a, yeah, and then, a, and then a percentage of those profits each year, um, if, if, if we have a net, go back to impossible-to-possible. So it helps as well. Every little bit helps. Yeah, of course. You have to you have to um, be out there promoting and marketing. And for an adult who sees what you're doing and wants a taste of it, to go on an extreme adventure in some remote location, they can do it with you or, or through your company. And I think it's just a great learning experience for them as well. And then when they pay, they're helping to fund the youth trip. So I think it makes perfect sense and it's a great way to approach it. Is there an ultimate goal with I2P or is it to continue doing what you've been doing because you've had such great success with it? Oh, always growth. We want to scale up where you, you know, we want to get into uh, augmented reality on the expeditions we want. There's so many components in each branch of what we do in technology, education, uh, travel. There's all in all of these components we want to up the ante a little bit. You know, we always want to push ourselves. We don't want to become at the same time stagnant and stale. You know, that's just not in our nature. So we're always trying to push the boundaries of what we, of what we can do. It's interesting because obviously you talk about augmented reality and all these things that technology will 
provide for us to be able to do, I guess, include more people on the expeditions? How can our community help you and support you? Is there a way to get involved? Donations are the number one thing, you know, or corporate sponsor, uh, corporate sponsorship. That's how we're able to facilitate the youth expeditions. So, you know, we have a website, Impossible to Possible. Uh, I'm sure you'll post it on the on the podcast page, you know, so you can reach us there. We have a donation tab. I mean, it's that's that's our primary. I mean, that's the main sort of focal point for us in our and in our ability to be able to do stuff, you know. And then from the educational side of it, for instance, I have a sister. My older sister's a school teacher. How can schools get involved? Well, that's a great point. When we have our youth expeditions going, uh, is to pay attention to our Facebook page or our website and know uh, by following along, oh, okay, I know these guys are going to be going out in October. So I want to include this this year in my classroom setting, you know, and uh, I want to, you know, and then they reach out and they connect with us and then we explain to them how, how it all works. It's, it's super duper easy, you know, following through on the website. And so we, we want to get as many teachers involved and classrooms involved in what it is that we're doing. I have a story for you that you might appreciate. So you know a little bit about this from the times we've spoken, but I learned about you through the documentary Running the Sahara. A very good, yeah, yeah a very good friend of mine turned me on to it and was and just adamant that I needed to see it. And I watched it. It blew my mind. I mean, it is really well done following you and your two um, friends run across the Sahara Desert. And, you know, it's funny. We look back on these different times in our lives that kind of were you know, life-changing moments. And I think seeing that documentary was for me. It inspired me and motivated me. And I remember when it was done, I thought, of these three guys, I could just really relate with you. And I was, and I said to my friend, I said, you know, in the real world, we'd be buddies with Ray Zahab. Like, no <laughs> doubt. Like I, and, and this is a good friend of mine. And um, I actually had the pleasure of interviewing him for a Difference Makers podcast quite recently. His name is Dr. Brian Springer and does mission trips in Central and South America. He's an orthopedic surgeon. And so we've talked about you quite a bit and we both laughed, you know, and I said, you know, I'm going to try to see if I can give Ray a call and tell him about my niece, Jenna, and all the work we're trying to do to help find a cure for her disease. And you were so kind and you took time out of your busy schedule and talked to me and gave me encouragement and guidance. And it really, it left a profound impact on me. So I want to thank you for that. And I know I've thanked you before, but I want the world to know how kind and supportive you are to other people who are trying to get out there and make a difference. And then the other piece to this story is when I did my East Coast run, which you encouraged me and gave me guidance on, as I made my way through North Florida, like very close to Jacksonville, um, by chance I met this woman named Renee. And she was, she was so sweet and gave me so much encouragement. And we were just chit-chatting. And she said to me, you know, one of the things that really inspired me in my life was this documentary called Running the Sahara. <laughs> and I was blown away. And she said that that documentary helped her through a very difficult time in her life. And we're sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, this documentary and what Ray and his friends did inspired her. And it also inspired me to do this run. So I just thought you'd appreciate that story. You are inspiring more people than you know. And I think it's just incredible now what you're doing for the youth because you're sharing this with them, the educational piece, but also the empowerment and the inspiration. So it's just, it, it, it comes full circle. 
I appreciate that, Al. But, you know, you, you, you've done so many amazing things, uh, you know, since I first met you. And um, and, and likewise, I, I'm inspired by the work that you're doing. And so, you you know, I think that that's the beauty of this this community, right? When we're given an opportunity, you know, to, to make a change or to, to inspire someone else. And, and usually we inspire someone else when we least know that we're doing it, like you said, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's an interesting you, – you got your nose to the grindstone. You're totally – focused on what it is that you're doing and time is slipping away in chunks and, and, and you're not concerned about anything else other than what it is that you're doing right at the time. It's very inspiring to hear those words, but also it's, it's super interesting how, as you said, things come full circle, you know? And I, I, I say to people all the time, I say, look, you got, you have one life. I mean, that's, we're in this world that's so technology based now where things are changing so quickly and we forget that we're not uh, invincible, you know, and we have a finite amount of time on the planet. Like, I mean, it's not like a video game where you get five lives or three lives or whatever they give you in a video game. Yeah. You know? We have one um, shot at this. You have one shot. And it's, and it's what are you going to do with your life that truly gives you the most meaning that you can derive the most meaning from? And I think it's we we have very little time in our lives where we actually slow down and think about those things. So the flip side of this whole COVID deal has been that I found through my conversations with people, people have had that time to go, whoa, hang on a sec, reset switch, and really see in their lives what's critically important instead of just racing through life in your 20, then your 50, then your 70. You know? Yeah, it's interesting too because you speaking of this reset, you talk about your life before you got into adventures and expeditions and running and all the things that you love to do now and now sharing it with the youth of the world. That reset, like what brought that on for you? And I think it's really important for people to recognize they can reset too. We can make changes in our lives and maybe this is a great opportunity and time for us to do it. This is definitely a time for reflection but your story is very inspirational in the fact that you're not ashamed. In fact, you proudly admit that you had a life that you weren't very proud of before. Um, you, you were a heavy smoker and, you know, you weren't maybe necessarily completely happy on the inside. I think that is probably in a lot of ways similar to my experience as well, my story, and a lot of other people out there. So I think it's really important, if you wouldn't mind, just maybe maybe to, you know, expand on that, how people can make that change. The most critical piece, you know, of what you just said was the last thing that you just said is that this is very much a common story. I always say that the most difficult things that we go through in life are relative to us as individuals. You can't really compare how you feel or your experience with anyone else. Cause you, you feel what you feel. You know what I'm saying? It's just like the great things that you'll achieve. Like you run, uh, your first 5k, it's like winning the Olympic gold in the marathon, or you, you climb your, uh, a local ski hill, let's say, you know, for the first time after being on the couch for 15, 20 years, and it's a huge physical effort and they reach the top and they look out behind them and they see this, this incredible view and they think to themselves, wow, I, you know, th- you feel like an Everest summiter because mm-hmm. it's your, it's relative to you and in your situation. So the great things that you feel in life and as likewise, the most incredible challenges that you go through in your life are very relative as individuals, right? That's right. And, and I think that a lot of us go through these difficult periods, but 
many times we don't reconcile the fact like we don't we it's almost like a, an unacceptance of where it is that we are and how it is that we feel but then when you accept that and you're willing to come to terms with it and deal with it that's when really things start to change you know i i use this example of like so covid strikes right and the lights the lights are out basically it's like you're in a room and and it's darkness it's complete darkness but you don't know how to find that light switch. Likewise, if things are always hunky-dory, things are always hunky-dory, so the lights are on in the room all the time, and then all of a sudden COVID strikes and the lights go out, and you don't know how to turn that switch on, you've got trouble. So by, by going through, without trying to get too confusing here, by going through and, and accepting where you are in your life and saying, look, at, you know what, I'm no longer satisfied with the trajectory of how I'm living and and, and this lack of passion and the direction that I'm going, but I need to change things incrementally. It can happen. You just make this decision that, you know what, I'm going to make something, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to change things. And when you become less risk adverse and, and willing to take chances and willing to stick your neck out there, regardless of what someone else is going to say, I mean, you gotta, you gotta do things for you, not for fear of, how things are going to turn out that you can't predict a negative outcome or what somebody might think if it doesn't turn out right. Like who cares? That's right. You got to start right. making moves. You start making moves for you. Cause at the end of the day, like we said before, you have one kick at the can, right? And that's it. That's all you get. So it's like you take chances. So when something like COVID strikes, you know, you have the tools, you've gone through change, you've gone through negative experiences and you've learned how to turn the lights on. You know, and so you become better and better at that on off switch. You become better and better at adaptation and changing and resiliency in your life, actually. You know, like things just start to change. So for me personally, I was like, okay, finally dealing with it. I was like, you know what? I'm just not a happy person. I just don't like the way I feel. I'm sick of living like this. I'm almost 30. Something's got to change. And my brother was this great inspiration, is a great inspiration for me. And he's this amazing athlete. And I thought he changed his life. He became an Ironman triathlete, a marathon runner, a climber. He was just doing all these really cool sports, a mountain biker. Maybe if I did the things he did, my life would be different because he's taking so much confidence from it. Mm -hmm. And he's changing in every possible way, physically, mentally, emotionally. He was changing. And, and, it, and it wasn't necessarily the sports that he was doing. It was the fact that he was doing something that he was so passionate about. So it's not about, you know, being physically active necessarily. It's just, I mean, I've often made the joke that if he was, if, if it was becoming an electrician and if he was an electrician, then we'd be, you know, I'd be talking about wiring houses, you know, but it wasn't, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't, that's not what he got into. He got into all these crazy outdoor sports. So I, I followed him into it just to see if it would make a difference for me. There was no grand plan. I just wanted to be happy. That's all I wanted. And, you know, and in, in a very short period of time when I latched onto these sports and I found something that I was actually good at, because again, you know, I discovered after I quit smoking, when you pollute your body for that many years, as I did from a teenager onward, you forget what it feels like to feel healthy. So feeling like crap all the time starts to become your norm. It's like being un unhappy or seeing everything with a tinge of gray uh, or seeing the, the glass half empty or mostly empty all the time becomes comfortable like a warm sleeping bag. Negativity is a very comfortable thing to slip into, right? But being happy 
is something that when you see it the first time, it's pretty amazing. It's so different. And being optimistic is something you have to work at. It doesn't just come easy because it's a lot easier to look at things with negativity. You found something that you're passionate about. I love how you pointed out that it's not about physical activity or sports per se. It's the dedication and enthusiasm by which you do those things. And I heard a firsthand account from Renee in Florida. She was inspired by your passion. And I think that's the key and what I've always been impressed by, your passion for what you do. For me, I love to do the adventures, but I love to write as well. And something I'm very passionate about. So I think that's really important to share is it's, it's really about finding that thing that you're excited and passionate about. Yeah, exactly. It could be anything. It could be anything. I mean, it could be arts, crafts, music. It could be anything. But it's finding it and then recognizing that that's the thing you love to do, right? It doesn't have to be, well, okay, now that I found the thing I love to do, now i got to earn my living doing it. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way. You know, it can be that way. But it doesn't have to be that way. I think that it's, it's about finding a balance in your life. And, 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 and let me just say, I'm not saying it's all roses. I mean, you're going to have up days, you're going to have down days, sure. right? But overwhelmingly, you want to have 51% up days. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And for the first 30 years of my life, it was 51% trending negative days. It's just how I would look at things. I've used another analogy many times that the way I used to look at things was, you know, I'd wake up and if it was cloudy outside, I'd be like, oh, great, it's cloudy. It's probably going to rain. Now I look outside and it's cloudy. I'm like, oh, well, you know what? Now I, you know, it, it, I won't get burned by the sun when I'm running today. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like subtly, <laughs> subtly positive instead of subtly negative, right? And I said, it's something that you learn and it's something that you polish and hone. It doesn't need hone. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen. For some people, it does. You know, they're just genera- generally positive from day one. From the time they come out of the womb, they're in a good mood, right? But that wasn't who I was. And I, and I think that your life and your circumstances and how you treat your body and what you eat and, and how you live can perpetuate more negativity in your life or more positivity. Yeah, and I like that as well because, you know, people see the accomplishments. They see the good times, especially with social media. That's one of the things I don't like about social media is we only, we don't really see a true human person when we see a Facebook post, right? Nobody posts, very rarely do people post themselves at their worst. They post themselves at their best. So we see all of the accomplishments, which are wonderful and beautiful, but we sometimes forget what it took to get to the top of the mountain, all the hard work, all the struggles, all the failures. And I think in those struggles and failures are what make the accomplishment all the sweeter. And I think that's when we learn our lessons and really experience life. And I like, I love what you're saying is it's not, it's not just a switch you turn on. You really got to work at it each and every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it, you know, it, it, it is something that in, in, you have to look at in life when you decide, depending on, you know, where, where you are in your life, when you decide that you want to make a change, there has to actually be a change. Like you have to put things into place to make a change and making a change of any kind requires effort. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, like if you change apartments, well, you got to move all your stuff, you know, and that requires effort. Or if you're going to change jobs, they got to learn new skills. You don't just like pick up the new job and you're 
you know, they plug a microchip into you and you know everything. Yeah, we're not right? quite, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> right? So, yeah. or, or you take up a new sport. You got to learn it. You got to practice it. You got to do, or new music, right? So it's the same thing in your life. You don't just, so you got to work at it. Okay, well, I want to be happy. Okay, well, now you got to work at being happy. That's right. You know what I mean? And and when we accept that, when there's a certain amount of acceptance, um, you really start to change things. All right. I'm going to change gears for a minute here because I'm curious. It seems like running is your go-to activity, but I know you've done a bunch of other things on your expeditions, trekking, skiing, bike riding. And when you do your expeditions, you're in some of the most extreme environments in the world, the Sahara Desert, Death Valley, the Arctic, the South Pole. Is there, and not necessarily a favorite expedition, but is there one particular activity you enjoy doing more than the others? Is there a favorite or is it adventure generally? Yeah, it's a great question. So like of, of that genre, of that stuff, you know, when I, before I started racing ultras, I was racing mountain bikes at a pretty elite level and I loved it. I loved, I raced cross country and then I raced 24 hour solos. And so mountain biking is really my passion. I love being on the mountain bike and I love technical riding. Uh, you know, at one point I had way too many mountain bikes. <laughs> I had to get rid of some. <laughs> But I mean, when I, you know, but running, uh, you know, my expeditions are 99% foot-based, right? So, um, I have done some fat bike trips in the Arctic, but there's only so many places you can go, you know? And what I love about being on foot is I can go anywhere. So, uh, you know, I would say that from a passion perspective, love mountain biking, but I spend most of my time running, you know, and I, we live in the wilderness on the trails and my daughter's. Uh, my wife is an ultra runner and my daughters, uh, 12 and nine, they run a ton. So, and they cross country ski and they paddle and they do everything. So we get out as a family and trail run, uh, you know, we'll just big runs and, and they are fast. And so we love getting out as a family. So I think that's my favorite thing to do. Outdoor activity with the family, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's so awesome. much fun, you know? Okay. So you're, you guys are doing some really incredible work with I2P. Is there a parting message you'd like to share with our community about what I2P is doing? And just like the lessons that I've learned that they're learning, hearing the story, how inspirational it is and uplifting, you know, is there something that you'd like to share? What I'd like to share is, is more of a request is please follow along, please follow along. And, uh, you know, if you have a classroom or you have a, a child in school that you think the school may want to get involved and follow us on one of our expeditions, you know, please let us know, you know, uh, conversely every year I speak to classrooms all over the world, uh, via Skype. And, uh, you know, I get in and talk to these kids in these schools and there's no charge for that. So, uh, it answers students questions about adventure and that sort of thing. And provided that I have the time in this, in this, my schedule to do it, you know, I'm open to that as well for schools. So it's just really, you know, following us so that we can keep young people motivated and still learning and as inspired about the outdoors as we are. And you, and you mentioned you have books and you do speaking. Can you direct people to your website and tell a little bit about that? Because I know I'm familiar with your books, but so our audience knows. I'd be shocked if my books are still in print, but I, I have a third book that I, I, I saw them on right Amazon. Now. I saw them on Amazon yesterday. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked. So I have a third book that I'm working on right now. Hopefully it'll be coming out next year. And it basically, it's all of my expeditions because my first two books were not, they were about the races I was doing and the, you know, the transition in life. But the next book will be, I think, really interesting for people that want to 
read a little bit about these trips and some of the more amazing things that have happened when I've been on these expeditions. Um, so I'm excited about that. So my website is just my name, raiseahab.com. And I'm on all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz. Facebook, I use a public page and I communicate with people daily uh, from that. So I would invite people to check that out. It's it's my name with a little blue check beside my name. That's the only Facebook page I use. And um, yeah, I hope to see everybody in the virtual world out there, maybe in real life sometime. And hopefully one day we'll be able to run together. I would love to do that sometime. That would be amazing, dude. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we could we could find something to do together, maybe for a charity. I think that would be something really special. Make it happen. All right, I'll, I'll start working on it. This is Difference Makers. You, Ray, are a real difference maker. Thank you so much for sharing your incredible story with our community. And thank you for all the work you're doing through I2P because it's really, it's really extraordinary. And I love how you're giving back to the next generation. So I thank you, my friend. Thank you, brother. We'll talk soon, Al. And, and thank you for everything that you're doing. On behalf of Difference Makers Global Community, I want to thank you for listening. And if you'd like to learn more about today's guest, visit differencemakers.org. There you'll find a dedicated page for each of our Difference Makers and a link to their charity's website where you can learn more about their inspiring work and support the mission. And for our readers out there, I have two books that I wrote that I'd love for you to check out. Crossing America for a Cure and Running the Coast for a Cure. These books chronicle charity adventures I did in honor of my niece, Jenna, who was born with a rare neurological disorder called Sturge-Weber syndrome. Both books can be purchased on Amazon.com, and all profits from book sales are donated to Sturge-Weber Research. Thanks again for listening, and remember, in each of us is the power to make a difference.